All right, DJ and PK joined now by David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He's on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. David, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. How do you think the Utah Jazz are? Obviously, it's a three-game win streak. Obviously, they passed the eye test, but obviously the competition hasn't been the best either, and it's a dramatic step up to the Celtics. You're on the road with these guys. You got a vibe? You know, they were fine at practice yesterday. I don't probably have a vibe. I mean, um, not sure they've been tested in their last three. Uh, the bottom of the East is pretty poor. Um, but on the other end, you know, they weren't playing very well before that. So I think they were probably capable of losing some of those games. And the Rockets lost to the Knicks. And people, you know, people have done weird things recently, right? Denver lost to the Warriors. Yeah. We lost to the Suns. So um, there have been some weird games recently. So I think you take your wins and you can get them. I don't know what the numbers say, but to me, the eyeball, Donovan Mitchell in the mid-range has been absolutely outstanding. Is that something that evolved naturally? Did they figure it out? Was, is he being coached to do it? Because he's certainly having a lot of success at it. No, I think they really worked at it. and um, He's worked and evolved throughout the season on it. Uh, I think they feel like he's got to be a, a three-level scorer at six foot one. You know, Harden does not, but he's six five, and so he's... He's able to, and he's pretty special, so he's able to get to the rim, you know, at, at a really high rate and not doesn't take that mid-range shot. Um, but most of the elite scorers, Dame and others, um, Jason Tatum, we'll see tonight, uh, all have to use the mid-range to some extent. Um, Donovan's worked at it uh, early in the year. He was going so quickly, and he would throw up that floater, and it was just an impossible shot. Um, your body was moving you know, at a, at a really high speed, and, and he was trying to, you know, float it up and in there, and now he's kind of changed that shot and found a, found a spot at 14 feet or 16 feet or 17 feet that he can get to, uh, stay balanced underneath him and, and hit that and pull up, and that's a, that's a better choice for him. So I'm curious what you think about the way the uh, bench is adjusting and Joe Ingles is playing as they continue to tweak things going forward. How do you like Joe off the bench now versus what you were seeing from him when he did that earlier in the year? Well, I like the bench. I like that second unit that they've built, which is Conley, Clarkson, Ingles, Niang, and Bradley. Um, You know, I think that's going to be super important for us that 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 group can – can give us a good, I think they're probably playing somewhere in the range of 12 minutes consecutively together. They're closing the final two or three minutes of the first quarter and playing the first three or four minutes of the second quarter. Um, and I think that's that's a, a important unit for us. The Jazz play 55% of their minutes with at least four starters on the floor, which is the highest um, of any team in the league tied with Denver and Toronto, and that's you know really where we make our hay. Um, we've been playing Donovan, Boyan, and Rudy together a huge amount. That's a pretty good combination for us. So that second unit of of Ingles and Clarkson and Conley with Niang and, and Bradley are vital. Um, Joe specifically is not making his catch-and-shoot shots right now, which is kind of the essence of who he is. Um, he's in a little slump, and it seems to be restricting his you know aggressiveness in regards to shooting, um, he still leads the team in assists. But on the bigger picture, he's shooting 44% on catch-and-shoot threes for the season, which is about his normal number. And so that would lead me, you know, so he's in a little slump right now. That happens. I don't think it's a big deal. I think he'll, you know, by the time we're done, he'll shoot 44% on catch-and-shoot threes, and he'll probably at some point very soon kind of click back toward that. 
I really think, David, that the Jazz have got to get Rudy Gobert the ball more. Um, you're pulling you're pulling the string on the on the whole routine, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Just <laughs> should have seen the look on his face. Like, pay attention, DJ. It's about to get good. I have, I happen to know that he was listening. Either the last two times I did this or the last time I did this because he sent me a wonderful text. <laughs> oh, that's right. Crap, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was this, I was driving to Utah spring ball practice yesterday and I was listening. <laughs> I forgot about it. I thought I could get you, dang it. And you sent me a text. <laughs> I incriminated myself. I left my, I left my fingerprints there at the scene. <laughs> and DJ probably knows everything, so I can't, I can't do the whole routine with DJ. All right. Shoot. I can't get it by you on that one. I thought maybe I could get you going. It's not early where you are, but it's early where we are. That's all right. I'll forgive you. You know, I think that uh, as I saw this team struggling uh, to, to win games, one of the things that I was least concerned about, if not the most least concerned about, which doesn't make sense, but you get the point. <laughs> I don't, but go ahead. Was Bogdanovich putting the ball in the basket because he was, it was a little bit of a shooting slump, and I, I had no doubt in my mind that he would come out of it, and he did. He has come out of it, but how much, how important do you think he is Is in the list of vitalness, so to speak, as far as him being able to put the ball in the basket? Oh, it's, it's enormous. Um, you know, and if he's getting three-point looks, it either means we're getting out in transition because, you know, he actually scores a great deal in transition when he has poor nights. It's usually because he's not getting two or three transition opportunities. You know, I think we he's not a player you look at and you think, oh, that's a transition player. But the fact is his – some of his biggest success comes in transition, leaks out. Um, he gets out, runs, um, becomes available really well. Um, so I'd say that, you know, on that level, um, he, that's a great sign is that when he gets those early looks, because um, it means we're pushing, probably getting coming off misses too. Um, and then, you know, he runs a lot of pick and roll. His pick and roll, Rudy's not very good. It's, you know, the guys that run the most pick and roll, it's like the eighth worst in the league, but it's a part of what gets him going. Um and what we do, and he's trying to get better at it. But then, you know, we also have some of the best pick and roll combinations in the league, and a lot of those are because if if Rudy's rolling and they pull off the corner, Boyan is there, and that's the shot you want to get for him. We we've got to get him other stuff. My point is that you've got to get him in transition. You got to let him play some pick and roll because if you just make him a catch and shoot guy, um, then it gets pretty limited pretty fast because people just hug to him. But when you can get all three of those together, then it gets pretty outstanding. The Lakers are playing the Bucks. That is uh, the late game on ESPN tonight, and a lot of people will look at that and say, hey, that's potential NBA Finals preview. Number one, do you believe that? And number two, uh, which team do you think is better? Pretty interesting. Um, and the Clippers have made a fairly large, resounding Richter-scale statement the last week toward that, maybe saying that that's not the case. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Bucks are historically great. They, the the tricky thing is that they were historically great last year too. And um, you know, I watched last year and thought Toronto was the best team I saw all year. And then I let the numbers rule my viewpoint because Milwaukee's numbers were so great. Numbers, Milwaukee's numbers are better this year. I mean, they're one of the great differential teams in the history of the NBA. Um, they've got the MVP. Um, 
their defense is just amazing. Their physical presence on the outside, coupled with multiple rim defenders, um, they're allowing I think twenty eight percent of their shots by opponents at the rim, uh, and they're great. Uh, they are playing in Eastern Conference. They do get a lot of easy nights, which I think um, inflates a little bit of who they are. Uh, and then the Lakers are great. Um, I'm curious to watch LeBron. I just he's so amazing, and he was just so great the other night. Um, you know. Night in and night out at 36 years old, at some point you would think this would slow down a little bit. Um, and, you know, whether or not he, he's able to do that. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not sold on Anthony Davis. I think it's telling that the Lakers are a negative team when LeBron's off the floor this year and Anthony Davis is on the floor. So that thing still revolves around LeBron. Their length, their physical presence is incredible defensively. Those teams are both great. Who's better? I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm bet, ready to bet against LeBron in a in a seven game series. Um, but that would be pretty epic if if that's what we got. Um, Giannis and LeBron going head to head. Giannis pretty similar to LeBron in, in some of his offensive weaknesses at that stage of his career. Uh, if you go back to LeBron, uh, it's pretty great. The Clippers are there. You know, Clippers I think deserve to be in that conversation. It does feel like there's you know little separation right now that there's three teams that are super elite. There's you know, six or seven teams on the next tier, and then and then so there's a little separation that's taking place right now. You want to do the Houston thing? Yes, you said uh, last week, man. You really got my attention with this. I've been thinking about this on and off. You thought Houston was going to roll to the end of the regular season, twenty four and four, and you thought the small ball lineup was going to just yield massive returns, and then you immediately followed up with, and I'm not at all convinced small ball is going to get him anywhere in the postseason. It was just a complete flip. So you've had another week to see this. Obviously, they had a big win in, in Boston, and they yeah six-game win streak, so I'm thinking you're right. And then they lose to the Knicks, and one of their, they got back-to-back losses, but I think it was the Clippers. And they got the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Bucks on the road, so we can all kind of see where you thought the four losses might come from. You change anything from that? Because that was, that was a bold call by you last week. Caught me off guard. Um, no, not really. I mean, um, we have seen both the Knicks and the Clippers use a new a defensive approach um, on them. So we're we're beginning to see the league try things and then have them work, and then kind of the same way we saw happen to the Jazz on on January 27th when the Rockets went small against the Jazz, and the Jazz defense hasn't been quite the same ever since. Um, we're seeing that um, right now out of them. Um, teams are bringing the far side corner defender over to the um, to the strong side where the ball is, and and overloading that side so that you have, and then rotating back out on the pass, and it's been pretty successful so far. Um, they the loss of the Knicks was strange to me. I mean, that, you know, maybe that's nightlife, and um, the Knicks are the number one offensive rebounding team in the league. So if you're going to have uh, somebody exposed the lack of size and, and get offensive rebounds and gain extra possessions that way. Actually, the Knicks are pretty high on the list of teams that would be able to do that. Um, and then the Clippers just might be better than them. The Clippers are better than them um, beforehand as well. So, I mean, I, I didn't say that I thought that they were the best team in the NBA and they wouldn't lose to anyone. Right. So the Clipper loss to me is not a right. um, not a surprise. And then the shooting percentages last night. The only thing that's a little disconcerting would be the shooting percentages the last two nights with teams now playing a new style of defense. Both teams have done something similar defensively 
on how to guard um, the Rockets. And the one problem um, that I can see playing five out, uh, in other words, no post, is the spacing on the outside is really hard. And your players are close together. So if you're rotating out of the out of it, you actually have, you know, you can go find a guy pretty easily because there's five of them or four of them so many penetrates out there. And if you don't really penetrate, then really it's easy to go find somebody. So that's the only um, little concern I have is that whether or not the, I'd be curious to go to look at some stat view data and see whether their number of open looks is down or their quality of shots are way down the last two games with the way that teams are now defending them. Um, but I'm not, no, I kind of generally still think they'll do what I said they're going to do. If stars like Mike Trout bat every inning, doesn't it just turn in the NBA where if you have the two or three best players, you're likely bound to win the title? Yeah, probably good. I don't like it. You know, there's a really simple thing here. What? About baseball. What? I mean, I played in college. I love the game. It's a great, great rule, actually. My dad gave this one to me. It was a, it used to debate the designated hitter. Uh-huh. If there's something in the game which you think is the perfect time to go get concessions, they should probably take it out of the game. But then you don't make the money on concessions. Well, that is true, but I think you understand the point. (laughs) If it's not that entertaining, so you know that's when you're going to go get concessions. So the bottom of the lineup is not the most entertaining thing in the world. Every inning in baseball is not entertaining right now. And they need, that's why I believe that they, I mean, I just think, the, I love the game. I think the game's great. The era is, like, the idea that the, the game stands the test of time is insane. It doesn't. It does not stand the test of time. Every data point in the world is out there to show you that it is not, this generation is not grasping the game in the same way. I mean, spring lacrosse numbers are through the roof. Uh, youth viewing is non-existent. Youth viewing is difficult anyway. Um, it's difficult for the NBA as well. Um, you know, middle-aged viewing is non-existent. Like they, they've got major, major, major problems that they're just not addressing in the in the or when they are addressing, it's just so terribly cosmetic. It makes no difference. So, um, you know, let the Astros cheating scandal. Uh, be the final stage and just change the game. You know, the same rules, but change change the entertainment value of the game. You By the go- way, did you see Bauer? Yeah. I think it was. Tipping his pitches? That is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Not the greatest, but right up there. Like, that just represents it. How egregious what the Astros did is. Oh, I agree on that part. They they cheated the game. Do you think they're wearing buzzers? Uh, the the Altuve thing. Uh, Clay Bellinger said, uh, "You know, why was he doing what he was doing?" So I mean, just it's it's just awfully suspicious. There's certainly uh, anecdotal evidence there. I mean, I haven't seen right. it, and no one has seen it. But to be doing what he did and then run off the field and run back was obviously bizarre behavior. Uh, so uh, on a circumstantial level, which isn't enough to convict anything, I'd have to say yes. And his home road numbers are pretty dramatically different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it adds up. I mean, go look at uh, Kershaw when he pitched against the Astros in Dodger Stadium, what his numbers were versus what he did and was minimate or whatever it's called there in Houston. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're startling. It's incredible. It is real. It's the greatest 
cheating scandal in the history of sports. Uh, outside of gambling and throwing games. Uh, but, yeah, uh, right. Maybe it's some boxing where someone, you know, if someone took a dive somewhere in boxing, which is just, you know, if, it's not cheating, it's just not any, any form of point shaving and whatnot, all that stuff uh, is is very nasty. But yeah, I would nothing nothing comes to mind uh, if you sort of are comfortable looking the other way to a degree with the steroid thing. Yeah, but the steroid thing to me is way different. I mean, that's an advantage. There's no question. But like, I was a college pitcher and I wasn't very good. And the only thing, so I'm not trying to claim like, oh, you know, but. Like, the only thing you have as a pitcher is deception. It's the only thing you have. And particularly on the major league level, where these guys can hit a 101-mile-an-hour fastball every time. They're the greatest in the world. If, they, if a pitcher sat up there and just threw 501-mile-an-hour fastballs, most of these guys are going to hit it. And so if you lose deception, you lose everything. That's what I thought was so great about what Bauer did in – spring training when he just told everyone what his pitches were because the idea is so insane you could never do it and so like it was such a perfect representation of how outrageous what the Astros did was oh I agree on that yeah no argument there I mean I don't think the punishment is I don't know what the punishment is supposed to be and I hate the kind of society we have like punish 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 but to me like it's so much I, I just feel like Major League Baseball's Commissioner's offices. All right, we're gonna move on. We're okay. Like, they they don't. Really. They don't know what to do to mete right. out equal justice because whatever you do, it's going to fall short of what happened and the success that they had. And in some cases, you can argue careers ruined or certainly opportunities ruined that sure. you may never get back. So I don't know that they can find a way to have equal justice. The moment's gone. Yeah. And they fire three managers and a and a GM, and they're like the sacrificial lambs. Yeah, right. And the players, the, the players who got the, the big money contracts, still have the big money contracts. Right. I, one of the things would be great was if a team came back and said, you know what, actually we're gonna we, we're claiming your contracts. We've, we've dug into your numbers, and actually the contract we gave you, we want out. Yeah, but they're all good players. I mean, nobody right. two, of Altuve's on the market. He's somebody's going to pick him up. Yeah, and they're going to give him good money. Yankees are going to pick him up. Right. <laughs> George Springer is just out of baseball. Not not likely. <laughs> no, he's a great player. Yeah, it, it's outrageous. I agree. It's totally outrageous. It's ruined the fabric of the game. No doubt about it. David, we appreciate so, a few minutes as Mike, always. So let Mike Trout hit every inning so I can watch. <laughs> Seriously, but, that, yeah, but then you'd never go to the bathroom. Right, and that's a huge problem. But PK, seriously, <laughs> I go to an Angels game. I go watch Mike Trout. And then I have to wait an hour. I see him more often on the video on Jumbo. Yeah, but that, that's baseball, so the suspense that it builds. No. Yes. No. It's yes. an hour without me seeing the most entertaining player in the game. Well, he does entertaining stuff than, in the I outfield. more than four moments over three and a half hours. There's a whole lot of lines I could use there, but I'm going to let Bada them bing! <laughs> Three and a half hours? Shooting Luis, what are you talking about? I think we know what he's talking about. So would it be better if it was four at-bats over two and a half hours? Because that's what baseball used to be, and then the game just go got get your so team slow. to have a bunch of stars, and you're okay. So you got and, and it's not uh, teams don't just have one hitter. I mean, come on. 
we can make some other rules. So no batting order. Everyone who starts has to hit. I saw that in Little League once. Right? I mean, so everyone has to get A at that. And then they have to, or three innings of defense. <laughs> um, Put a pitch on it. I mean, the interesting one there is that you might actually sacrifice an inning every now and then just to get your three not as good hitters up. And then if they accidentally deliver, it's dramatic. Yeah, right. I, I want load, the Bucky dead moment. If Mike Trout's too tired from six half at the game. Yeah, he'd be gassed, man. He'd want more money. He's already making $35 million that's, a year. That's true. <laughs> that's 100% true. I think you can think of at least one agent who would put his hand out and say, well, okay, 50% more at-bats, 50% more cash. Yeah. Scott Boris, come on down. There's no way he would miss on that. How many bat five times a game? What's, what's wrong with that? Well, is it going to generate 50% more money? Well, that's a decision for the team to decide, analytically. All right. All right. We got to run, David. We appreciate it as always. Thanks for talking jazz and fixing baseball at the same time. See you. All right. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. We'll be busy the next couple nights in Boston tonight and in Detroit tomorrow night.